Welcome to Waypoint. My name is Blair. I'm one of the pastors here. I do some of the teaching, and on occasion, I get to invite my wife, Tracy, to be a part of that. So she's coming along. Yeah, don't encourage her. She's already encouraged enough. Uh, she's uh, joining me with part of a series, kind of in the middle of a series called Happy, Healthy, and Wise that we're doing. The premise is just this simple. Uh, God gives direction, instructions, commands at times, and we sometimes interpret those as God trying to control our lives. Instead of understanding that what God wants to do is find a way for you to experience a life that's happy, healthy, and wise. I'm not suggesting that God promises rainbows and sunshine all the time. In fact, your life could be full of the opposite, difficulties and struggle. But when you align yourself up with the way God designed you to be, get, follow his commands, you could be happy, healthy, and wise despite all of those circumstances. It seems counterintuitive, but it's not because God's design is good. So far, we've talked about making space for belonging and serving. And they're hanging up on the wall of our calendar of our lives. And today we're going to add a third one. And this one's a little complex and sometimes a little confusing. In some ways it's completely misunderstood. It's a really broad topic that often gets condensed so narrowly that it misses the understanding of what the intent actually is. Add to it that it comes with baggage that we collect from family, from church, youth group, or friends about what's acceptable and what's not. There's so much going on with this topic that we can't cover it all. But hopefully our different perspectives may shed light on it and the scripture that we use and how we should make space for this exact topic. Uh, I want to take you to a section of scripture to introduce it. Um, but the scripture is loaded, loaded with historical and cultural context. In fact, there's so much in there. What I've decided to do is I'm going to pick a Sunday uh, in probably the summer sometime, and I'm going to go through it because there is so much that's valuable that helps you understand this. We've got to touch on some of it because you, you really can't understand what's happening here without some of the cultural context, but we're just going to give you a little piece, the pieces that we need. Jesus is on a road trip. It's, a walk, it's walking, um, but he goes into a village in Israel that no good Jew would have gone into. He's already training his disciples to think differently about his kingdom. He's tired. He sits down next to a well. A woman comes up to draw some water, and he asks her for some water, and she strikes up a conversation, which is odd. It would have been normal if she would have gotten his drink quietly and gone away, but instead she talks to him. And some commentaries suggest that she might have been flirting or forward because in that time it was a public setting that she was talking to a man that wasn't her husband. That just wasn't done. Now add to the story the fact that she's a Samaritan, and now she's crossing a completely different line. She would have been rejected by the Jews, and even more, probably hated by most of them. And now we get to look at, she's talking to this Jewish person. Remember the story that Jesus told us about the good Samaritan who came to the healing aid of the Jew who was beaten. The hated culture helped the prominent culture, and it would have caused great disturbance and indignation among all those who were listening. And now here's Jesus again using a Samaritan as a center of the story, and she's a female. In that culture, that would not have been done. So don't miss that. She's part of a rejected Samaritan village. She's part of a rejected gender or a female group. 
and she's rejected by her own people because of the type of lifestyle she had. She had five husbands, and the guy she was living with now wasn't married. So her boldness to have a conversation with any guy that she runs into is meant to cause a stir. But Jesus, 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 Jesus looks beyond the social norms, and he's more interested in what's happening in her heart. He starts by talking about water, which is a really simple topic of need, and then he turns it into a spiritual conversation. And as the spiritual flavor increases, her defenses go up. She puts up a wall by bringing up a controversy that existed from between the Jews and the Samaritans, and she points out what separates them to try and keep Jesus' bay. In verse 19 of John 4, she says, Sir, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Why is she bringing this up? Uh, she knows it separates them, and there's not a good reason for it, except, um, by the way, we don't have the full story. So part of the reason she bring this up, she didn't say anything factually wrong. One of the things that separated them was where they worship. The Jews said, you worship in Jerusalem on our mountain. Um, we're going to put up a map. Uh, Mount Gerizim was where the Samaritans worshipped. And they said, this is where we worship. You don't accept that. So we have a problem with each other. But it was worse than that. Let's say the Samaritans said, okay, we'll worship on your mountain in Jerusalem. They would not have been allowed to. There was another cultural thing that was happening that, that would have prevented them from actually going to that mountain and worshiping. So it's not just the, the place that was a problem. They would have been unable to follow and worship God. What's a Samaritan supposed to do? If they want to honor God in any way, part of their culture was sacrificing to, to be a part of that ritual, and it would have been withheld from them. At least they were doing that in their mount. And so she brings up this thing that basically says, listen, this is so big that if we follow your rules, we can't even worship God. That's what you Jews are doing to prevent us. So th this, this would have been ingrained in both cultures. They would, have been, they would have dug in on this, and she brings this up. She does this for one reason. This prophet who started a little conversation about water and had insights into her life was getting so close, she thought she could bring up the one thing that would end the conversation. But Jesus, 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 he responds in verse 21 with this. Woman, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain or in Jerusalem. Now, Samaritans worshipped on a mountain where Israel had once received a blessing on the nation, and it was a sacred place. And the Jews worshipped in Jerusalem, but Jesus tells her soon, it won't matter. What? Worship is about location, right? Jews and Samaritans had that hatred towards each other over location and rituals, and she's never, ever heard anyone say anything like this before in her life. Location might not matter. This would be hard for her to process because it was part of her identity. It's the first thing that she brings up to Jesus. She wasn't following all of the rituals, but she was suggesting that location mattered. And no Jew or Samaritan had ever said anything otherwise. So we're going to go down to verse 23. And Jesus is talking to her and he adds, Yet a time is coming and has now come 
It's not future anymore. But when true worshipers who will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. Now, in case you wonder if she understands what's going on, if you follow the story, the way she responds makes it clear that she understands exactly what Jesus just said. I want to make sure we understand exactly what he said. Jesus is bringing up the idea of worship, and he's bringing it up because it's central to who we are. You and I were designed for worship. The Samaritan woman was designed by God to worship. And the problem was, if you had the wrong picture, which she did, location and ritual equals worship, you could end up making some mistakes. Instead, Jesus says, no, 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 no. It's not about those things. This thing that's central to who you are, it's about this. Two things. I want you to worship in spirit and in truth. I want you to worship in the inner core of who you are. So the attitudes, the way you think, the way you go about life. I want you to worship me there. And in truth, you line up with what's true, what's right, what's good with the way I talk to you about living. So your whole life becomes about this act of worship that you do. It permeates everything. It's not just about location and ritual. Listen, this woman thought, as long as I get location and ritual right, I can go through husbands like water. I can have one at home that I'm not married to, and I can flirt with this guy at the well. Who cares? At least I'm worshiping properly. Now, that, that seems like that's kind of a bizarre thought, except, honestly, as modern worshipers, we're not much different. We, we have a different set of things that we count, and the stuff that she was counting wasn't wrong. She was still probably um, doing some sort of sacrifice that would have been required in that cultural that was very similar to the Jews. It's not that that was wrong, but we do the same thing. We count things as worship and act like we're covered. We go to church, right? We go on a mission trip. We read our Bibles. We pray. We have this list of things that we say, as long as I'm doing that, I'm good to go. But it was far more than that. In fact, um, without that, without that marker, if she would have unloaded location and ritual, and if we would do the same, we would be left with two things that we would have to wrestle with, responsibility and freedom. Jesus speaks and says, true worshipers worship in spirit and in truth. And the Samaritan woman realized that the way that she was practicing worship wasn't real. It was an aha moment. She was focused on location and rituals, but Jesus wanted to talk about how she lived and what she thought. Now, rituals and location, like Blair said, allow us to focus on God, but following them alone does not indicate that we love God. A true worshiper doesn't rely on just a couple activities as evidence of their love. True worshipers see all of their life's activities as ways to show their devotion to God. And when you do chores, it's an opportunity to worship. When you go to work or do your homework, it's worship. Laundry, worship. Driving, worship. Talking or texting with a friend, worship. And also posting on Facebook, an act of worship. How? Because what you say and how you say it and what you do and what you do comes from a place inside of you. And making choices that honor God are acts of worship. We've come, become accustomed to thinking like, in this place called church, I can act and think and look one way, but at school or home, I can be someone completely different. 
I can grumble or insult someone or play power games or be impure or gossip or hold grudges. But at least if I come to church on Sunday and I'm in the right place on the right day, well, then I've got it made. It'd be nice if it was just the woman at the well that we could look at. Um, but the truth is I've seen this repeated in my life over and over. At different places at different times, I think uh, when I look back, uh, there are some that were burned into my mind. Uh, one of those, my senior year, the summer of my senior year, I was going into um, high school, two of my friends were killed in automobile accidents. I sat next to them when I was in elementary school with the one guy. And, and God um, spoke to me that summer and said, listen, uh, Blair, you have one kind of character that you have at camp and around Christian people, but when you're at school, nobody could tell that you follow me. And I knew, I knew he was right. And uh, I knew that I had missed an opportunity to be a light in the lives of people that I cared about. They were my friends. And if you would have asked me in that moment, Blair, do you feel happy, healthy, and wise? I would have said no. I feel miserable that I missed this opportunity to live a life of worship like it would have permeated everywhere and shown up in my life. If you would have asked the woman at the well, were you happy, healthy, and wise, she would have said no. I'm lonely. I'm rejected. I'm doing foolish kinds of things. And it boiled down to this simple idea. For some reason, she and I had decided that my whole life shouldn't be submitted to God, just part of it. And God was looking for us to respond with a whole life of submission so that we could say, ah, that's worship. That's what I'm actually looking for. And that's what leads, again, to what I said, the sense of freedom and responsibility. If we choose our whole life submission, it changes from location and ritual to freedom and responsibility. Freedom, because for the Samaritan woman, where she worshiped, and felt the harsh judgment from the Jews didn't matter anymore. The chains could break. And responsible now, because she actually had to live what she believed, not just practice the right rituals in the right practice in the right ways. As modern day worshipers, we might think that we're different, like Blair said, than the ancient people. And culturally, yes, I would give that to you. But our hearts still stray from God while we try to look good. In church or around church people, we might use cleaner language, better behaviors, or sometimes different characters. We become split, like Blair was, where our choice and attitudes aren't touched by God, but quickly we can shape them up so they look like they are. We have then become a church that sees a narrow view of worship, and that's what we've settled for. As we have talked about worship, what's the first thing that comes to mind? Is it music? But it's way more than music. It's freedom. It's the responsibility to live as an act of worship in every way. What you do with your life at home, at work, and in the quiet of your heart where no one sees you is your true worship. When your whole life is aligned with God, the expression of worship through music then actually makes sense. The church views music as worship sometimes. It's almost all that we talk about. And it's, it's settled for a narrow um, version of that. But sometimes what comes with that is a lack of freedom too. You don't feel like you can worship. I want you to understand what the scriptures say about music. Like there is a place in our lives for this. 
Uh, I want to read from Psalms, several um, of them. 135.3, this is one. Praise the Lord, for the Lord is good. Sing praise to his name, for it is pleasant. This idea that it's good and pleasant, same two words used um, in the Psalms to describe unity, the sense of belonging that we would have with each other that God has for our lives too. Um, Psalm 104.33, I will sing to the Lord all my life. I will sing praise to my God as long as I live. This is an all-consuming thing that you're looking to do. Why? Well, Psalm 134, I'll lift up my hands in the sanctuary and praise the Lord because something that's going on in here starts to come out in terms of expression of my life. It's not just in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, Colossians 3.16 says this about music. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly. Christ is dwelling in us richly. Why? As you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. Those sound pretty important, but look how the teaching happens. It's through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. Wisdom actually gets conveyed through that kind of expression. Gratitude to the heart gets conveyed. Music is an opportunity for this soul that you have that's in line with following God with everything that you are, finding some way to express itself, finding some way to say, wow, this is a pretty big deal. So even though we've defined it narrowly at times, it's clear music is a piece of the worship puzzle. And because music allows us to emotionally connect to God, it's central in the conversation about worship. And for some, the ability to sing and express what's in their souls is about how they've been living their whole lives. It's embracing what's true and allowing God to move their spirit to follow him. And music and art allow us to express that depth of love. And community worship brings us together. And our hearts unite to lift up the one who knows and sees, cares and heals those lonely dark places where no one else dares to tread, just like the Samaritan woman. But music can become ritualized in different ways. Some churches have rules like don't dance, don't sway, or we'll smack ya. I never got smacked for swaying. No? <laughs> they didn't play music this way too. That's probably very true. I did get smacked for other reasons. Yeah, and I do have a little bad habit of hitting him sometimes. But Probably deserve it. Yeah. <laughs> well, other churches say don't lift your hands, don't clap, or if you don't clap or if you don't kneel, it's not worship. But the church has this history, this long history of arguing over music. Um, it used to be about styles because a lot of the early hymns were actually pub songs that they changed the lyrics to. And although that's gotten quieter, it's been replaced by the way that we express ourselves during worship. So here's a thought. When you see the verses that Blair read about worship, and you're a true worshiper who loves God in spirit and in truth, your worship will actually have elements of action. It's in the scripture. And the baggage to resist that or resist him that you might be carrying from churches or youth group or family or friends can be released to free you to express passion for Jesus. 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 That's who it's about. Because words aren't enough. Music is powerful. And we as followers of Jesus could grow in this era, area of echoing his praise. Um, I get what she's saying, right? But not being an expressive person myself, it's hard to digest. In fact, I would have said, 
listen, because I know worship is about how you live, that's the side that I'm going to focus on. I want to focus on the daily choices, the decisions that I make, so I'm worshiping with my whole life. Um, but, but God brought me to a different place on this. Um, because I finally, it finally dawned on me that if you were designed to worship, which I believe you were, and so was I, that you will worship something. Somewhere you will worship something. And I started opening my eyes up, and I started noticing that people in our culture worship things. It could be anything. It could be that they worship another person. Some of them worship themselves, right? Some people um, worship stuff. There's all kinds of stuff that you can worship. And when you're passionate about that thing that you worship, you find a way to express it. I think, um, I think my uh, ideas started to change when I saw this uh, little video clip online. I, I want to show it to you. I may have shown this in the past because it was so formative for me. I can't remember. I'm old. I don't know if I've showed you this before. All right? But I know it will make you uncomfortable for 10 seconds because it's 10 seconds long. Right? It won't be the music that you like or even the style of what's going on there is not probably going to make you happy. But I want you to watch what people are doing as they express about something they love. Ready? Here we go. Not calling for a spiritual mosh pit. Because I'm not going to be there with you at this point. But I do want to say this. If I have given my whole life to follow Jesus, I have more to celebrate than they do. Right? Because of what God's done in my life, there ought to be something in me. And we run into all these rules and these baggage and these things, maybe even my own DNA that says you just don't express. And I would just tell you, listen, our culture does it. If they can do it, maybe a guy like me should find a way to be expressive too. It's because churches have made rules about worship. Either do it, or if you don't do it, you're not really, and it becomes such a mess. So what happens if you can't sing, or you don't play an instrument, or you have really bad rhythm? What happens if you have a heart for worship, but you're told you can't sing well enough? That happened to me, and I cannot tell you the ache that it put in my heart. I thought I was doing what God wanted me to do and expressing myself in a way that was honoring to him. I love to bring people into his throne room, but he said, no, not going forward. And I came to church, and I could not sing. I literally could not sing. I could not open my mouth. I kept saying, I can't sing. I can't sing. Someone told me I can't sing. And just stand in the back and listen. And my heart started to grow tender towards listening to others. Here was this place where I had always opened up to God, and I believe that every area of my life was open to him. I believe that when I'm in the grocery store, it's worship. I believe that when I put my shoes on and how I treat my kids is worship. And now this worship thing of music was gone from my life, and it ate. And I just actually remember this when I was, sorry, standing over there, but... There was a point where I was just listening to God and listening to the people singing around me, and I saw him take out his hands to, like, dance with me instead, and I'm not a dancer either. And I just remember him saying that he was going to use my voice elsewhere, but he wanted me to dance with him. And so I had to learn how to open up that space in my life 
that ached and give him back that opportunity to speak into it. The whole idea of worship is that we offer our lives to him because it's only Jesus that gets that honor, that gets to go down into those deepest places. It's not about rituals or location or talent or some sort of music, but how I live my life. I come before God with a heart intent on expressing love and devotion that's been showing up in me all week long because it's knit to the bottom of my soul. And our modern affection for worship has a key place, but without it being tied to my spirit as a true worshiper, it is worthless. We were designed to worship with our whole lives every day and express gratitude for God. Everyone worships something, like Blair said. What you orient your life around comes out of you. And Jesus says it's about your freedom from ritual and location and your responsibility to live in truth and have your spirit inclined towards him. If that's happening in your life, then the scripture talks about wholehearted expression, shouts of joy, lifted hands, singing and expressing gratitude to God, loud voices. When we truly understand worship, it can lead you to a life that's happy, healthy, and wise. Blair made some changes to the calendar, and I want us to agree as we go throughout the week that we'll start looking at our activities as a way to worship. Let's make space for it by deciding to grow in our expression to God. And on Friday, November 30th at 7 in the flat, we're going to have a night of worship that we get to come and practice together because sometimes it just takes practice to open up. We're going to have freedom from judgment and a responsibility to live our whole life gifted in Jesus, 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 the one who tears down rituals and locations and rules about expression and culture and society and causes our soul to respond to him with a grateful heart. It says the Father is seeking you, those who worship in spirit and truth. So we're just going to come to him. Father, you are seeking us. It's so much easier to hide. And when our hearts hurt, it's so much easier not to let you in. This woman at the well allowed you to come into a place where she was rejected, and she allowed you to change her life. She went back and told the village all about you. And you're the only one who has permission to go down into those deep places. So I'm asking you to come. Come. We're open. We're ready. We're willing. We're listening. And we want you to stir in us that freedom to let judgment be fallen off of our hearts. We want you to show us how it is to be responsible with the gifts and the time and the location and everything that we have, God, and everyone we touch with your expression of love. We cannot do it. I can't do it. I don't have it in me, and I want to run. But God, you run towards us, so help us to fall into your arms and look at worship the way you do. Thank you, Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, thank you. Amen. Well, if you could please.